Amen. <clears throat> so this morning, I want to look at the flesh a little bit different than we looked at sin. Sin we saw a couple of weeks ago is like this, this uh, curse that's in our DNA. You get born with it, right? A lot of times we like to look at sin as an act, but sin that, that Jesus came to deliver us from is in our blood. It's in our DNA from the first breath that we take. He comes and says, I will deliver you from that. I'll put my blood into your veins, right? It's righteous. It's holy. It's without sin. You are no longer condemned. You have life and life eternal, right? So today when we say that we're going to look at the flesh, it's easy to look at the flesh and say, well, maybe that's like individual sins that I commit, right? I did this, or I did that, or I made a bad decision. I lied, I stole, I cheated, I did whatever it was. <clears throat> but I want to look at the flesh as the thing that's inside of us that desires to sin and leads us astray. I don't care this morning about your particular sin or my particular sin. Beyond that, before that sin, before those acts, there's something inside of us that gets going. There's something inside of us that wants to sin. There's this pride inside of us that is longing for what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. And that's what we're going to look at this morning in regards to the flesh, how it leads us astray. Not a sin that you can pinpoint. You know, Gary mentioned about Jericho. You know, we can think about some of those things, some of those acts, some of those sins, some of those things that are, are holding us back or, or bondage that we have or, or this, this plateau that we've reached that we can't seem to get beyond or this gate uh, that seems to be shut all the time when we want to progress. Think about those things and pray about those things, especially leading into Jericho. But today we'll go beyond that or before that, like I said. To me, it's like uh, something I feel rising up inside of me you can't really uh, describe it or tame it. It's like a dog that wants to get out of a cage, right? You can't really tell somebody when, when it's happening to you, but you know it's happening. That's the flesh. It's rising up and it's saying, let me loose. Just let me do what I want to do. Let me off the chain. Let me out of this cage and we'll both feel better because I'll, I'll get all this pent up. Whatever it is I have in me, I'll be able to let it out and you'll feel better because you can do what you really want to do. You can say what you really want to say. You can act how you really want to act. We've done it before. Let me out. You know how I am with movies. There's a, there's a movie, uh, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and it's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right? And I don't know if you guys have seen that one, but, but he's talking to himself in a mirror, right? And so Dr., Dr. Jekyll, yep, Dr. Jekyll's looking in the mirror, but looking back at him is Mr. Hyde, this beast, this monster. And that's exactly what he's telling him. Let me out. Drink the elixir. Just let me out. So maybe I'm the only crazy one, but that's how I feel when the flesh is rising up. Right? When people are calling or people are talking or people aren't listening or you're angry at work or you're frustrated with your spouse, it's like your normal self is saying, man, calm down. Just take it easy. Be nice. And the flesh is on the other side like, let me out. Just let me do what I want to do. Let me say what I want to say to him or to her or to them or to whatever the situation is. <clears throat> Galatians 5.19 says this about the flesh. The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, things that are like that. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
scriptures are pretty black and white. Amen. Lays out a laundry list and says, all these things are the flesh. These are the works of the flesh. And if you practice these things, if you live in these things, if you consistently behave this way, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You'll go to church for a long time and then go to hell. You'll try your best to live the way that you think God wants you to live, and it will not be enough, and you'll go to hell. You practice these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it's pretty significant what we practice and how we behave and how we act. But the first verse, the first words in Galatians 5.19 said, the works of the flesh are evident. See, this is the work of the flesh when you actually are doing these things and behaving that way, but the flesh itself is something before that. It's what's in you. It's like the seed of what will produce those works. If you want a weed to go away, you can't just pull it out. You got to spray that Roundup down low, and then you got to pull the whole weed out, right? These seeds of the flesh are planted in all kinds of places, and we need to be delivered. They need to be completely removed. Otherwise, they always come back. The flesh is not necessarily just the sin or the act. It's before that, the seed that's planted within us that we allow to grow and we allow to water without uprooting. So how do we combat that? Romans chapter 7, verse uh, 14. Paul says this, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. Right? I love truth. I love honesty. I love Samantha getting up here and saying it was a lie. Paul says the same thing. He says, look, I know that the word of God is real. I know that it's spiritual. I know that it's from God. It's holy, but I'm carnal. I'm just a man. I got issues. He says, and I'm sold under sin. Isn't that what it means to be bound, to be sold under sin? You need to be delivered. You can't deliver yourself. You can't buy yourself freedom. You're sold under sin. You are a slave. So let me start again. Paul says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I don't understand. What I want to do that I do not practice. But what I hate, that's what I do. If then I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law itself is good. But now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh. Say flesh. Say flesh. flesh. Paul says, I know that in me, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will or to want is present with me. But how to actually perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I want to do, I don't do. But the evil I want not to do, that's what I practice. So if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wants to do good. I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. It's binding me. I'm bound. They're at war and it's winning. It takes me into captivity. Instead of doing what I want to do and acting how I want to act, living how I want to live, loving how I should love, this war that's going on inside of me, where there's this man, there's this spirit that wants to do right and loves God and loves his word, is at war with my flesh inside of me and the flesh is winning. And here I am in a prison. This is Paul the Apostle describing to us what he's going through. He says this, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh I serve the law of sin. 
there's got to be deliverance. <laughs> this problem, this issue, this burden, the greatest of all Christians and the quote-unquote weakest of all Christians, we all struggle with this. Paul the Apostle says, man, I've been fighting. I know the word. I know what I should do. I really do want to do it, but I'm not living in victory. Who will deliver me? Who will come and say, what you cannot do, I will do for you? Where you are weak, I'm strong. We know that it's the Lord. Jesus says, I'll do it. I'll help you. I'll deliver you. Where do we find the answer? Jesus says, it's in my spirit, right? By my spirit, right? It's my power that has to be alive inside of you. It's my power. It's my spirit that has to deliver you and sustain you. And war, the, the Bible says that we don't, we don't war or battle against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle that we're all going through, right? So where do we find that? We find that in the spirit. And where do we find the spirit? The spirit, the spirit is found in the word of God. I'll bet you. However much money you got, however much money I got, I guarantee you those of us who are struggling with the flesh are not in our word. Period. And even though we want to see these good things happening to us and we want to see change, we consistently are like the Hulk where it's only a matter of time before the flesh rises up because it's still a matter of time that we have not got into the word. We don't meditate on it day and night. We don't read it and actually try to understand how to apply that into our lives. Psalm 119 says, verse 11, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's Psalm 119, 11. If you need to remember a scripture, this could be your first one, or it could just be the next one. It's very important. Psalm 119, 11. Thy word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. You want to stop sinning? Get the word into you. You want the flesh to really be gone? Get the word into you. Amen. That's where the power is. That's where the spirit is. But it's not just found in the reading of the word. Listen to what he said. I've hidden it in my heart. How many of you even know the scripture that says the heart is desperately wicked? Anybody heard that before? It's true. It's what the Bible says. Jesus says, I have to come and give you a new heart. The Bible also says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know what that means? It means that what's coming out of you is what's in you. Amen. Your heart controls a whole lot of things. So when the psalmist says, thy word have I hidden in my heart, he's not just saying I hid it in my mind and I read it and I understood it. What he's saying is it got so deep into me, it's so embedded into my heart that it flows out of me. It supplies, remember, remember what Paul said? He said, it's warring against my members, right? He says, I know what I want to do and I know what I should do and I actually feel it in my heart that it's the right thing, but something is warring in me that my hand does something else. My members, my feet walk somewhere else. My eyes go somewhere else, right? So if you can get the word of God and the spirit of God into your heart, what it's saying is that flows to all of your members. It will change something. I'm not telling you to read the word of God so you can say, hey, I read eight chapters. I finished the book of James. It's all good now. No, get it into your heart and let it affect the way that you live. The way that you think. Setting us free. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Let a man so consider us. This is Paul talking again. We're going to talk a lot about Paul. He's teaching us so much about the flesh. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 4, 1. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in a student, or excuse me, in a steward, that one be found faithful. 
But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. So this is what Paul's saying. He's talking about sin. He's talking about flesh. He's talking about judging one another. He says, look, you guys can't judge me. You guys can pull me before a court. They can't judge me. But something specific that he says that always blows my mind when I read the scripture, he says, I know of nothing against myself. Like, there's no sin that I'm aware of that I'm committing. There's no unrighteousness that I'm aware of that I'm walking in or practicing. I long to be able to make a statement like that. <laughs> On Wednesday night, we talked about Philip, um, excuse me, Stephen being martyred. And how at the end of his life, he did exactly what Jesus did. They took him out, they stoned him, and he cried out to God. He said, forgive them, basically, for they know not what they do, just like Jesus did. And we said, we got to raise the bar. And our Wednesday night Bible study, we said, look, if Stephen can get there, let's stop acting as if we can't. Let's stop acting as if that's just Jesus. He's the only righteous one. He's the only one who loves when he's being uh, ridiculed or hurt or offended. No, it's for all of us. Same thing here with Paul. He says, I know of nothing against myself. So here's the question. How did Paul get from, man, what I do is not what I want to do, and what I want to do is not what I really do, and there's something inside of me, and there's this war, and there's this battle, right, in Romans, and then when he's writing this letter to the Corinthians, he's over here saying, I know of nothing against myself. What happened? What changed between I can't get it right no matter how hard I try to right now, I don't know of anything that I'm doing wrong. I love the Lord. I do it right. I love when I'm supposed to love. I love even those that, are, that hate me. I respond in kindness when people try to take from me. When the flesh wants to rise up, I don't, I don't let it leave me or hold me bound. How did he get there? How can we get there? Should we be striving for that? Does anybody want that this morning? Yes. Amen. Couple things. Number one, he says... In this actual scripture, he says, I'm a faithful steward of the mysteries or the word of God. I just told you that we got we to gotta be in the word. Listen to what he says before he says, I know nothing against myself. 1 Corinthians 4.1, let a man so consider us servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. To be a steward means that you take care of something that does not belong to you, Right? So if somebody lets you borrow their car, they say, be a good steward. Take care of it. Change the oil. Put gas in it. Don't crash it. It doesn't belong to you, but you are in charge of it or in control of it. So be a good steward. Same thing with finances. You might not know this, but the bank that you have your money in, they are a steward of your finances. You take all the money you make and you say, take good care of this. That's why they insure it. That's why they give you interest on it, right? Because it's not theirs, it's yours. They take your money, this is a side note, they take your money, they take my money, and they invest it, and they insure it, which means if they lose it, the government pays it back and gives us our money back. But if they make money off of it, they get to keep all that money, and then every year they give you like 37 cents in interest. All right? But the idea is this. They've been faithful stewards of what we've given them. They've increased it, and they've always made it a point to give back to us what we gave them to begin with. Does that make sense? So when Paul says, 
we are faithful stewards of the mysteries of God. What he's saying is everything that God has written, everything that his spirit has taught us, we are faithful stewards. We have it and we share it accordingly. Amen. You want to know how to be able to say I know of nothing against myself? Be a steward of the word of God. Do you have it in you? Do you know how to navigate it? Do you know how to call upon it when you're going through something? Do you know how that when somebody calls you and they say, I'm going through this or I'm going through that, I don't need you to be a computer that's able to say what says right here in John chapter 4, verse 17, but what I need you to know is what the scriptures actually say so you can be a steward of it. Hey, I know what you're going through, and, I, and because I'm a steward of these things, I have them for you. Let me read this to you. Let me share this with you. Let me, let me Google and find out where it was and then send you the scripture. Because it's in my heart, but I don't know it by heart as far as what those numbers are. Does that make sense? Paul says, I can say that I know of nothing against myself. One of the reasons why is because I'm a steward of his mysteries. <clears throat> Another thing Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, he says, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. So look, he says earlier, it's warring against me. My members are doing whatever they want to do, and I can't stop them. Sin dwells in me, even though I want to do the right thing. Later on, he says, I'm a steward of the word of God, and I bring my body into subjection. I beat it into subjection. There's this spiritual part where you get the word of God into your heart, but then there's the actual physical where your hand reaches out and you smack that thing. I'm beating my body into subjection. You look at something on TV and you kick the TV in so it don't work in anymore. <laughs> like there's some physical things we have to do. Somebody say amen. amen. You can sit down as long as you want and pray that you are not tempted and pray that your flesh doesn't rise up. But you have to go back into the world. You're going to look at some things again. You're going to talk to some people again. Your phone is going to ring again. Yeah. Mary told me that one of the young people came back and said, said, Mary, we talked a lot about distractions at this conference. I deleted Facebook. I deleted the rest of my social media. I, I deleted YouTube. But guess what? The app store is still on your phone. Like, you can download those things again. You are going to have to beat your body into subjection. Physically, the next time you want to download it, you're going to have to say no. Paul's doing a couple things here. Being a steward of the word of God, physically bringing his body into subjection. And then in Romans chapter 8, he's telling us what he did, but in Romans 8, he gives us a blueprint. Say blueprint. Blueprint, blueprint is like this. God has said this is what you need to do, how you work that out in your life is different. If God gave all of us the same materials to build a house, we would have 75 different looking houses, but we would all use the same materials. Does that make sense? Right? So he would say, hey, look, make sure you build a foundation. Some of us are going to build a circle foundation. Some are going to be square. Then he's going to say, use these two by fours for your walls. But our houses are all going to look different. In, in chapter 8, it's like the materials and the blueprint for overcoming the flesh. How it looks in your life and what you're struggling with and what I'm struggling with and what we all need to be delivered from is different. So you can't, it's not like a one-size-fits-all kind of pill. Like if you just do this, you're going to be fine. You have to work it out yourself. The Bible says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Amen? So he starts off Romans chapter 8 by saying this. There is now, or excuse me, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In our series on deliverance week one, we talked about that, right? Being delivered from sin and condemnation. So what Paul is saying is, before Jesus, there was 
uh, sin and condemnation, you were condemned, you were going to hell. He says, but after Christ, there is now... Therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is, if you're not in Christ, if you haven't given him your life, if you haven't let him wash you with his blood, forgive you of your sins, you're still condemned. But if you have for you, there's now, therefore, no more uh, sin, no more condemnation. But then he goes on another step and he says, but you cannot continue to walk in the flesh. You've got to walk in the spirit. Remember he said a minute ago, he said, if you practice all these things, you're walking in those things. And you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So let's see what else he says. Romans chapter 8 goes on from verse 1, verse 2. says this, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. I've been delivered, set free, right? From the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh... God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. I'm going to stop there in verse four for just a second. He's saying, I gave you the law and it showed you what the righteous requirement was. And what he says is God had to send Jesus because even though we had the law and even though we knew the righteous requirement, our flesh was so weak that we couldn't keep it. <laughs> Your flesh is so weak, my flesh is so weak that we cannot keep it even though we know what we should do and we know how important it is. God says you couldn't do it. So I know that you would at some point say I can't do it. I need help. He sends the help. I still remember one of the most significant, like, big brother beatdowns I ever took is because my parents left the house and they had just bought a bag of Hershey Kisses. Shiny and silver. The little paper sticking out with the blue writing that says Hershey on there. And they said, do not touch these Hershey Kisses. How many of you think I touched the Hershey Kisses? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Why even bring them over here? <laughs> Why do we even need to know that they're here? So I didn't just touch one or two. I ate the whole bag of Hershey Kisses while they were gone. To make it worse, because I know I'm going to be in trouble. I know that's how the flesh is. Somebody say amen. Like, you know that this is bad, and you know that there's going to be consequences, but at the moment, you don't care. The beast came out. I'll deal with the consequences later. You know what I did? I put all the empty wrappers under my brother's pillow. <laughs> and he caught a serious whooping, like he got it bad. And that was the beginning of the end for us. He whooped on me probably for like the next eight years after that, initially because of this one particular incident. <laughs> but the idea is that it doesn't matter if you know what you should do, if your flesh is so weak that you can't do it. God knows who he created. Somebody say amen. amen. He knows our weaknesses. He knows that we're but a vapor. He knows that it doesn't matter how clear he makes it, how much he loves us, that knowing the truth is not the same as being able to actually live out the truth. And he says, because of that, I send my son in the likeness of your flesh, right? He's a man. He's going to be tempted. He's going to see things. He's going to be challenged. He's going to be spit on. He's going to be poor. They're going to say that his mama was a whore and got pregnant before she was married. I know that all that's going to happen to him. 
But because it's actually possible to love God through those things and honor God with your whole life, I'll send the sinless one to show you and then apply that to your life. That's what Romans chapter 8 through verse 5 have said. I send him to live according to the flesh, or excuse me, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit on the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The carnal mind is enmity or at war against God, it says. For it's not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. Then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you're not in the flesh, you're in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul gives us this beautiful imagery of the flesh versus the spirit. Which one are you feeding? Which one are you tending to? Which one are you nurturing? Which one are you caring for? And which one is leading your life? He says we can't be in both. We can't live in both. You can't practice both. You've got these two puppies, right? And one, you're going to chop its ears off and chop its tail off and never feed it and poke it and prod it. And then you're going to let it loose from time to time. That's your flesh, and it's going to do damage and destruction against you and everyone that it comes into contact with. I'm not a dog person, and Mary won't let us have one. But all you dog people, we love you. God bless you. But we see how you take care of your dogs. You feed them. You rush home, you don't let it be hot, you let them in the house and stuff. You like groom them. You do all this stuff to take care of them and then they're pretty good dogs. They listen to you and they're nice and they don't hurt anybody, they don't jump on anybody, they don't bite people. You know, you got two dogs living inside of you. <laughs> How good a care of your spirit dog <laughs> are you taking? He's like, where's the dogs at? <laughs> Which one are you feeding? Are you feeding your spirit? Are you reading the word? Are you keeping it under control? That's what Paul tells us we have to do. God sent his son to die and to fill us with his spirit so that we can feed that spirit and grow that spirit instead of letting the flesh run loose. John 4, 23 says, The hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. See, you need spirit and truth. He said, the law was weak because of our flesh. We had the truth, but we couldn't do it. You know why? Because we didn't have the spirit. If you don't have the spirit and the truth, you will always be frustrated and bound by your flesh. You got to have both. The spirit of God alive in your life, propelling you and compelling you, and the truth of God teaching you and showing you and guiding you. If you only have one, it doesn't work that way. There's a story in uh, Numbers chapter 22 about a man named Balaam, prophet from God, was hearing from God, knew what God wanted to do, 
Some of God's enemies come to him and say, tell us how to destroy the children of Israel. Tell us how to hurt them. And God's actually speaking to this man, telling him what to do, telling him what to say to the children of Israel as a prophet. He had the knowledge, he had the word, but he did not have the spirit of God alive inside of him. And for money, say money. money. The flesh, right? He wanted resources. He wanted money. He goes to this, to this king, uh, Balak, and he says, all right, well, look, what are you going to give me? What are you going to give me? They're going back and forth. And he's, he's one foot in, one foot out. With the Lord, God even uses a donkey to speak to him. Read Numbers 22, crazy story. But at the end, you know what he says? He says, because I know the word, I know how to curse them. He tells this king, he says, if you want to hurt them and you want their God, because you can't stop their God, he's going to do what he wants to do. But if you want to stop them and you want their God to be angry with them, he says, lead them into adultery. He says, let them marry with your people, lead them into sexual sin, and watch what happens to him. And that's exactly what this king Balak does to them. And God does it. He holds them accountable for their decision. Point being is Balaam knew God, was hearing from God, had the word of God, but didn't have the spirit of God. One without the other, it leads to bondage still. There's another story uh, in Acts chapter 8. If you don't have the truth, right? This guy had the truth, had the word, but no spirit. In Acts chapter 8, Simon the sorcerer, they come into the city, he's doing magic and he's doing tricks and everybody believes that he's a god. Then the real power of God comes on the scene and really begins to heal people and touch people's life. And this man says, I know that, uh, that you, what you guys are doing is real. I can feel it. I know the difference between that spirit and my spirit. And he says, how much, how much will it take for me to buy that? I want you to give me that spirit. I want you to make me really powerful instead of using smoke and mirrors. He saw the spirit and was exposed to the spirit, but he didn't know the truth. So he's still bound. This morning, I, I would challenge you to think, which area are you stronger in? Do you feel God? Do you feel him in worship? Do you know that he's real? Do you really love him? But you don't know very much about the truth of his word. Or are you always in your word and you know it back and front and you quote it to people and you post it on Facebook and you share it with others, but the spirit's not really alive in your life? And then ask yourself, could that be why I'm bound? Why I haven't been delivered yet? Why my flesh continues to rise up? It's frustrating for me as a, as a pastor to think sometimes maybe it's just positioning myself to not get angry. You know, the Hulk, that's what he tried to do, right? He's like, if I just don't get angry and I stay away from people that are going to piss me off, then everything will be fine, right? But then soon as something happens, the Hulk comes out. And when that happens to me, I'm like, dang, I thought the flesh was dead. I thought I was right. It's like, no, you just hide in your office or you, you hide at home and you don't go around people and then you don't get angry. But then you get caught out there slipping one day and it comes out and you're like, I didn't know that was still here. The flesh monster, he's a beast. What the flesh does is it makes long-term decisions on short-term circumstances. The flesh causes you to do things that are going to affect you for a long time, and you do it because of what you're going through in a short time. How you feel right now, what they said right now, what you have or don't have right now, and your flesh says, here's what we should do. And whatever that flesh says or does or however it acts out, it's going to affect you for a long time. In the Bible, Jacob and Esau, you, you have 
When you read through the scriptures, it says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and who? Jacob. Jacob. It was supposed to, let me, let me clarify. If things had gone according to the typical plan of God, it would have said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Because Esau was the firstborn. The firstborn gets the blessings. He gets not only the physical blessings of the land, the financial blessings of whatever the family has acquired, and the spiritual blessing is passed down through the firstborn. But Esau's flesh, say flesh, had him make an extremely long-term decision based on some short-term circumstances. He comes home from being out, being active, doing what a son should do, hunting, gathering, doing all that kind of stuff, and he's exhausted. He's tired. He sees his little brother cooking up some stew, and he says, man, I'm hungry. I'm about to pass out. I'm about to die. He was legitimately hungry. He was in legitimate physical need of food, and his little brother says, and he ain't like a real little brother. They're twins. He just came out a couple seconds before. He says, all right. Sell me your birthright. I want the largest portion of the land. I want the largest portion of the finances. And I want the spiritual blessing that was going to be passed down through you. I want it to be passed down through me. And he says, okay. Sells his birthright for a bowl of soup. Sells the spiritual blessing. We're sitting in a church thousands of years later today, serving and worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because of a bowl of soup. That could have been Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. How many bowls of soup have you eaten because of your flesh? How many short-term difficulties have caused our flesh to make us make decisions that have had extremely significant long-term effects on us? How many of us know in our hearts that that flesh monster is still in there waiting to get out, and it's going to happen again this week, next week? Things that God has planned for you and destinies that he has for you, you're going to sell them off because your flesh is going to say, I want this right now. Or we can be delivered. We can ask God, help us. See, Jesus has this experience where he comes to John, he gets baptized. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit descends and remains upon him after his baptism. He's tempted by the devil, right? And what do the scriptures tell us? That he didn't sell off his birthright. He was hungry. He was hurting. He was tired. He knew he had a long road ahead of him. But he didn't let his short-term circumstances make an extremely bad decision about his long-term destiny that would have affected all of us. That's the example we have to follow. We need to follow. Or I should say you're given an opportunity to follow. Luke 4.1, Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You know, sometimes when we're in a wilderness, sometimes we're in a difficult time, sometimes when things aren't going right, you know that the Spirit of God led you there? Don't we always think it's the devil? You're going through this because the devil hates you and it's the worst thing and God's not there and God doesn't love you. Read the scriptures. What it says here is that the Spirit of God led Jesus into a wilderness. When they came out of Egypt, the Spirit of God led all of the children of Israel where? Into a wilderness. So you think when you come out of the world and you come to God that there might not be a wilderness experience for you? Stay on track. Otherwise, we'll never get to the end. I'm here. 
He returned from the Jordan where he was baptized, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. In those days he ate nothing, and afterwards when they had ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Could Jesus do that? Could he take a couple of fish and feed thousands? So he could do it, right? But Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. See, the issue with our flesh is not that temptation is not going to come and ability is not going to be there. We have to do what, what Jesus did here. Like, you can. Either you have the money, you have the time, you have the connection, you have an opportunity to fulfill the desires of the flesh and fall victim to whatever area it is that you're being tempted or what your, your flesh wants. And Jesus didn't say, I can't do it or, or God's taken that from me. He just says, no, nah, the word of God says something different. So I'm going to suppress what my flesh wants and what you're saying into me. And I'm going to do what the word of God says. It's written, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil took him on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I'll give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you're worshiped before me, it'll all be yours. Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan. For it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. I've heard my wife say this to so many people, whether they're, you know, uh, in ministry or something, and, and they're getting either their first job or they're choosing jobs from, from one to the next. She says, you need to tell them you're not working on Sundays. You need to tell them that if you are going to work on Sundays, it's going to be after 12 o'clock when you get out of church and you need your Wednesday nights. Is that because we want the church to grow and everybody's got to be here? You're going to die and go to hell if you don't come on Wednesday night? No, the point being is I'm not going to worship you. I'm not going to put everything, all of my stock and how much money I can get from you on an hourly basis and miss out on the things that God has for me and for my family of faith. I'm not going to do that. And then people look at her like she's crazy. Some people listen, some people don't, right? We have people that don't show up for month on end because work told them they can't go to church. Listen to what Jesus is saying. The devil comes in and says, I've got resources. Look at all this. He says that he showed them all the kingdoms in a moment of time. You know what that would be like? He's basically saying, to them, look, this is what's going to, this is the Romans. And then after them, look at all these other different nations. He fast forwarded all the way to when the United States are the, the most powerful nation on the planet. Look, all that. In a moment of time, he showed them all. He says, it's all yours. All you got to do is worship me. I've been here since the beginning. I'm going to be here. If you worship me, I'll give you all this. I'll let you rule and reign with me. A false version of what it means for Jesus to rule and reign with God, right? And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. It's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. When there's a conflict, you you bow down to what God says, not to what your boss says. And that's hard. Somebody say amen. amen. We got bills to pay. We got gas to put in our cars. We got children to feed. I'm not saying as if it's some trivial thing. What I am saying is the word of God says it. <laughs> I think it's interesting how we think we can't do it, yet there are people who do it all the time. Amen. And God just blesses it. You know, when we started the church, we started a home Bible study. Then when we started the church, 
you know, it's been almost 10 years, right? Nine and a half years, and I've worked full time for nine and a half years and never missed a service because of work. How is that possible? I think it's because the Spirit of God says, if you honor me and you do what I tell you to do, I'll make a way for things that seem impossible to be possible. So don't tell me you can't do it. And I've watched other men and women do that. And it's not, again, because it's something that we want to take pride in and say, well, I could do it, you could do it. It's just because of what Jesus says. He says, I'm not worshiping you, and I don't need your resources. I'll worship God. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, it has been written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So now he tells them, look, are your daily needs being met? Are you hungry? Turn this into some bread and eat it. He says, I'm not going to step outside the will of God. He says, what about your finances and your resources? Don't you want to be blessed? Don't you want to have stuff? Let me give it to you. Nope, I'm going to worship the Lord my God. I'm not going to worship you. And then on this last one, he says to him, well, if God loves you, he ain't going to let you get hurt. He ain't going to let you have no pain. Throw yourself down. And, I get, and if you really are loved by God, angels will come and catch you. Because he's not going to allow you to get hurt. Doesn't the devil do that to you sometimes? If God loved me, why am I going through this? How many of you said that? If God cares, why is he letting me continue to go through this? Why did he take this from me? Why did he take that from me? Why is my life so jacked up? That's the devil, and he's keeping us bound. He tells Jesus, if God loves you, nothing's going to happen to you. That's a lie. God loves us, and things happen to us. Then it says this, Jesus Every time responds with the word of God. And in the beginning, what did it say? He was filled with the spirit and led by the spirit. A minute ago, when I talked to you about being delivered from the flesh, you have to have the spirit and the truth. That's what you see in this story from Jesus. He's filled with the spirit, led by the spirit, and he's speaking the truth over his circumstances. That's why his flesh is not like ours. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Then Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee. Amen. See, the devil, he don't quit for good. He just quits for a moment. Yep. You tell him where he can go and you tell him why he can go there and you can tell him who's inside of you. And then he'll be like, all right, I'm going to go get somebody weaker who don't know that. Yep. And I'm going to dominate their lives for a little while. But it doesn't say he disappears forever. He says for an opportune time. You know what happens when he comes back to Jesus again? Same thing. Because he's still filled with the spirit and he still has the word of God. I think the flesh is a great barometer in many ways for whether or not we are abiding in the vine and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're close to God in his word, abiding in that vine filled with the Holy Spirit, the flesh will not have the destructive power and control over your life that he used to have and that he still has over some of us. When things are always chaos and we're always making bad decisions and we're constantly trying to clean up for what we did and what we said and how we acted, that in many ways means that we're not abiding in the vine. We're not walking with God closely. We're not filled with his spirit. We don't have his word really living in our hearts. Hebrews 10, 14 says, by one offering, he's perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Jesus made one offering of his life and he perfected us forever. Our sins are completely forgiven. But then it says, for those who are being sanctified. So the idea is this, you can be completely saved, completely set apart for God, right? 
but because of what Jesus did, but you can actually be in process. You're being sanctified. We're in process. Somebody say amen. amen. I think the, the, the revelation God gave me for you guys this morning in this service is that deliverance from the flesh is both a finished work and an ongoing work. So when Jesus says, let there be light, there was light, right? That's done. But you know what the Bible says? It says that he holds the stars in his hands. So it's a finished work because he said so, but it's also something that's ongoing because he's taking care of it. When we worship today, we said, uh, you hold the universe and you hold me. You said something like that, didn't you? I heard you guys singing. You hold the stars in the sky and you hold my every moment. You got to be careful what you're seeing up in here. Can't just be singing words like we do in the world, right? Go back. Some of you that don't listen to worldly music anymore, go back to what you were singing in the 80s and 90s, and you'll feel so foolish. Like, how was I ever singing that? And the kids today, they sing stuff word for word. They know all the songs, but they have no idea what it means. I think Christians do that a lot of times in worship. How are you going to tell God that he holds the stars in the, in the sky and he holds your every moment, but live completely as if it was the opposite? He has no power. Well, which is it? Does he hold the stars in the sky or is he powerless? Does he love you endlessly and holds your every moment in his hands or he doesn't care about you? Well, we got to make, make up our minds. Either stop singing or start living what you're singing. <laughs> the idea is this, though. Being delivered from the flesh is if God says that's what he's done and what you've asked for and he's delivered you, it's a finished work, but he holds it in his hands. It's like this daily thing that he has to continue to keep, keep your walk in a place where that deliverance bears fruit. Does that make sense? It's not like you just come to church one day, I give my life to Jesus and it's all good from there. You don't ever have to talk to him again or deliver me from whatever it is that this bondage is and then, all right, cool, I'm, I'm good now. It'll never be a problem again. There's this tension between what he says and what's immediate and what's taking place because God has said so and then what he's actually holding. Like your, your lungs right now, they're breathing in air without you thinking about it, but that's because God said at some point that's what your lungs are going to do. He set that to be true, and now he makes sure that it happens every day, time after time after time. When you go to sleep and you ain't thinking about it, he's holding your heartbeat in his hand. He said at one point, let it beat, and then every day from then on out, he makes sure it beats. At least that's the God I serve. Amen. So last night I saw this picture in my mind, looking at the message, of a whirlwind tornado. But it was like a personal tornado. It was like just my height, just big enough to be around me. And when I was in the middle of it, I felt it, and I knew I was in the middle of it. It was this weird, like, picture and vision, and I could feel the, the tornado around me, but I also felt like there was something stirring uh, inside me. And then I saw myself a second later outside of that personal tornado, right? So then I'm, I'm standing on the outside, and I can see the tornado, and I can see it spinning. But now I have this perspective of what it's like to be in it and what it's like to be outside of it. And it had this kind of a immediate effect upon me. If I, if I can have you, uh, Isaac, if I can have you play that, that second video, turn on the lights for just a second. I think it's just about a minute and a half, guys. Check this out.
So those of us who are from uh, California, we don't know anything about like tornadoes and stuff, so we just live through the movies. Mel's from Oklahoma, you've seen those before? God bless them. That's why I'll never leave and live anywhere else. You're crazy, I'll deal with earthquakes before I deal with the wind coming down and taking my house away. But when I had this vision, that's the first thing I thought about. If you really look at it, you know where the safest place for them to be was? Right in the middle of, of this tornado, right? They could see uh, what was going on. They could see how it was happening. Uh, and, and afterwards, after thinking about it, praying about it, I felt like what God was trying to say is, that's what it's like with my spirit. Like if you're right in my spirit, you feel the wind, you're in the wind, there's strength and power, but you're not afraid. You know how afraid you are though when you're right outside of that? When everything's being picked up, I felt like what God was saying is when you're abiding in me and my spirit is alive in you and you have my word, what happens is the flesh is still there and it's coming at you, but I just pick that stuff up, spin it around and toss it. It's not as if you're not being attacked. The devil still comes, but I'm more powerful. You're right in my will. I spin that stuff and I toss it. You know how dangerous it is when you're outside of that? You get hit with everything that's being tossed. Everything that the enemy is throwing at you, it's coming at you at a rate where you cannot protect yourself and you fall victim to the flesh time and time again. When you're in the will of God, even if something gets through that whirlwind and actually affects you or impacts you, there's no longer this love and attachment for it. You're actually repulsed by it. You're like, what is this inside of my spiritual tornado? And you spit it back out. And you get rid of it as quickly as possible. Many of us have had that kind of experience. When you're close to God and something comes in, but you're in that season of being in your word and being filled with the spirit, you don't like it. And you're like, I wanna get rid of this as quickly as possible and you repent or you launch it out. That's different than the scriptures we, talk, we talked about to start this morning where it said, if you practice these things, if you walk in these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. I wanna be in this place with God. The Bible says that when the Holy Spirit first came, when the Lord sent to the disciples, it says that it came like a rushing wind into the room that they were in. They were gathered, they were praying. This wind came in and it affected all of them. With Elijah, when he was taken to heaven, it says that a chariot of fire came down and then in a whirlwind, he was taken up to heaven. That's what it's supposed to feel like. And I think a lot of times, like when our youth go to an Elevate conference, it's a whirlwind. For three days, they don't go to school, the parents don't go to work, all they hear is three services a day, world-class worship, speakers coming in from all over the place, and there's this whirlwind of the things of God. I know that for me, when I go to conferences, that's what it feels like. I'm not thinking about going to work, I'm not thinking about serving in any particular capacity, all I'm thinking about is, wow, two or three times a day I get to receive the word of God, I get to worship, I get to talk to other people about nothing but God. But that whirlwind is not sustainable. She don't get to live at Elevate. <laughs> and we don't get to live at conferences. And even when hopefully you get that feeling when you come into your weekly services of worship and receiving the word of God, there's still five other days of the week where you don't live in the church. And what God is trying to tell you is I give you those things as a blessing, but that whirlwind, you can have it all the time. It's not that you get it from those experiences of uh, conferences or services or worship services. He says, this is where I offer you your personal whirlwind. Amen. You want one for yourself, this is where you get it. This is how you get it, like Paul said. How you go from saying, I just keep doing what I don't wanna do to getting to a place where you say, I know of nothing against myself.
Last thing I wanna show you, and then I'm gonna close with you guys. <clears throat> it's a video day, I like videos today. I got one last one, Isaac, if you can play it. And, uh, and again, just hit the lights for us, turn it up. This one's a short one too. So at the end of one of these Hulk movies, we started there this morning, this is the Hulk trying to control the Hulk. What he decided at the end is like, look, it just goes off on his own. He does what he wants. He causes all this damage. I'm going to learn how to control this power. Last thing I want to share with you guys is that sin and the flesh is uncontrollable. He goes through all these techniques. He says, I'm just going to embrace it. In this video, he's writing a love letter to the, to the woman that he loves, and they're going to reconnect. Everything's going to be fine. Many of us feel that way. I can love and still have the sin in the flesh. I can be effective and productive, successful and happy, and still manage my flesh. It's unmanageable. The flesh is unmanageable. If you try to put it in a box, believe me, it gets out. When you think it's only going to affect one area, and I, I hope that this ministers to you as much as it ministers to me, a lot of times when it comes to the flesh and when it comes to sin, we, we convince ourselves that it's going to stay within the area that we've chosen to let it loose, right? Just in this relationship with him, just in this relationship with her, just in this one area of my finances, just in this one area of friendship, and we think it's going to stay there, but it never does. When you let the flesh loose, it goes wherever it wants, whenever it wants, however it wants. We can't control it. After this, when the next Hulk movie started, he was back to his same old self, destroying everything. We have to be delivered. We have to be delivered. We have to be delivered. If the flesh is still in you, if the flesh is strong, believe me, Jesus says, I will deliver, and this is how I do it, through my word and through my spirit. Can we stand? Worship team, come on up here. You know, when we got into this series, I think it's, I believe it's God's timing with, with Jericho coming up in two weeks, a conference about deliverance. But as you look at the topics that we've, we've really looked at, Dealing with sin itself, dealing with condemnation, walking around with that condemnation, 
dealing with fear, being afraid to do what God wants you to do and go where God wants you to go and stop what God wants you to stop and start what God wants you to start. Comparison, looking at non-Christians, comparing yourself to them. Looking at other Christians and comparing yourself to them. You know, so many of the things that we do as a church, God's church, not just this church, we do it collectively and we do it together and we do it um, uh, aware that there's other people in other situations, other circumstances, worldly folks and, and uh, spiritual folks. But the more we go through this series, it's so personal, it's so intimate. Nobody else matters. Your sin and condemnation, that's between you and God. Your fears that you have are between you and God. You don't need other people for that. Your comparison to others is really about something inside of just you that God wants to deal with. When you get what they have, you're still who you were before. When you get where they are, you're still you when you get there. We think it's all about other people and circumstances and situations. And the more we read through the scriptures, God is saying you are a spiritual being. And everything that I'm trying to deal with you about is about your spirit. Sure, he can use people, situations, circumstances to draw light or shine a light upon who you are and what's going on inside of you. But they are definitely not primary. Today is no different when it comes to the flesh. The need for deliverance is so significant, but it really just comes down to you. Do you feel that? Do you, do you sense something that just begins to turn in you, begins to affect the way you think? Maybe you hear something and you start to play it over and over in your mind. Maybe you want something, you can't stop thinking about it. Maybe somebody did something and, and it starts off, you know, I didn't really like that. And then a day later, it's like, you know, that really upset me. And then a week later, you're trying to find out ways to get back at them. The flesh is just something that's uncontrollable and it begins to twist and turn and control us. And if you know that and you know it well and you continue to experience it, man, I would pray this morning that you would just call out to God and say, deliver me. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be burdened. I don't want to be ran by that. I, I feel it in me, and even when I tell it to stop, it will not stop. I'm tired of that. Earlier I read to you what the works of the flesh are. I'm going to read that same scripture, but it's encapsulated with what God says the works of the Spirit are. Galatians 5.16 says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and they are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, clearly seen. They are adultery. Fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and things like that. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. So what the Scripture says is, we all know the flesh and we all know it well, and it has to be crucified or you're going to continue to walk in it. <laughs> the flesh wars against the Spirit. The Spirit wars against the flesh. You have to walk in the Spirit. You cannot walk in the flesh. You cannot practice these things. The only way is for it to die and for you to be resurrected in the newness of life of Christ. That process is called deliverance. When he's dealing with our sin and that curse, we're delivered from sin and death. We're delivered and we move on in newness of life. When it comes to fear, he says, you have not been born again. You have not received the spirit of fear. You received the spirit of power. He delivers us from fear that in, uh, uh, inhibits us or paralyzes us and he gives us a spirit of power. We've been delivered from that and we move on. With comparison, he delivers us. He says, you want to be like, you want to judge like, you want to use other people as a measuring stick. You either elevate yourself or you elevate them and try to reach that. He says, I'll deliver you from that. Here's the truth. He says, you are all infinitely valuable. You are unique and special. And I love you with the kind of love that will not increase no matter where you go or what you do or what you achieve. You're delivered from comparison. And this morning when he says, I will deliver you from the flesh, he says, I'll fill you afresh and anew with my spirit. You will be able to walk in the spirit. Know my word. Draw upon it. Call upon it. Let it fill your heart. He says, but there's some dying that has to happen. This week, when I was going through battles with the flesh, over and over, it was so clear to me that it was just my pride. How I felt, what I wanted, how I looked at things, what I was experiencing. The flesh was about my pride, and I called out to God, Lord, just deliver me from my pride. That's the flesh monster that I have. That's, that's what makes me turn green and start tearing stuff up. And he says, get in my word. Pray for my spirit. Let me consume you with this whirlwind of myself and the things that are of me and not of the world, and you'll be okay. It's a hard dying process, though, to acknowledge that you're prideful. That's crucifixion. You're hanging yourself on a cross and saying, this isn't everybody else's fault. This is me. It's in me. This isn't a result of what somebody did to me or said to me. This is what was already in me, and it's just coming out. If you're here this morning, heads bowed, eyes closed, you want to be delivered from the flesh, you know it's in you. Other people seem to trigger it maybe pretty often, or maybe it's every once in a while, but you know it's there. If you want to be delivered, I'm going to ask you, I don't want you just to raise your hand. Raising your hand says you know the truth. <laughs> Walking to the altar for prayer says, I'm going to beat my body into subjection. 
Paul says, I already know the truth that I'm a steward of the word of God, but then I beat my body into subjection. I make it listen to me. I don't listen to it. If you're struggling with the flesh, come and receive prayer. Come to the altar and say, God, help me. There's something more than this. There's a life I desire beyond this. I'm tired of tearing my own life up and the lives of others up. I want to be in the center of your will. I want to feel your wind of your spirit surrounding me and protecting me. I want your word to come alive. I want to draw upon it when I'm tempted. I want to really live this thing out. Hallelujah, Lord. I'm going to beat my body into subjection. I'm going to do my part. God will do his part. Do your part. Our part is easy. Acknowledge where we are this morning and ask for help. Start with the basics. Those of you who are here at this altar, start with the basics. It doesn't matter. Read one sentence. Read one chapter. Read a short book so you can see yourself reading it from the beginning to the end. There's, there's books of our Bible that are four chapters long, one chapter long. Get from the beginning to the end and then go to the next one. Pray to God, what would you have me to read? What would you have me to see? How can I apply this? Let it get deep into my heart. I didn't just read it to say that I read it. I read it to see what I need to do, what I need to learn, how you want to change me, how you want to fill me, and let that flow around you. Let it protect you. Spirit of God, take care of your people. Deliver us from the flesh. Let us walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, Lord God. We don't want 30 days of right living. We don't want 90 days of doing it pretty good, Lord God. And then have that come down to zero and start all over because the flesh came back stronger than ever, Lord. We want to be completely delivered. We don't want to walk in that nonsense. We don't want to practice that nonsense, Lord God. How can we love when we're attacked? Only if we're filled with your spirit and filled with your word, Lord God. How can we not return damage when we've been damaged? Only if we're filled with your word and with your spirit, God. How do we overcome in those moments of intense and significant trial and tribulation, tempting and testing, Lord God, when the enemy comes full force at what he calls an opportune times and says, look at this, do this. Make a long-term decision based on your short-term circumstances. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. You want a bowl of soup right now. Let's just go and get it. Lord, give us your spirit and your power to deny that. We will not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We have to know your word to call upon it. When you said you'd send your spirit, God, you said the spirit would remind us of everything you said and everything you taught us, Lord God. We cannot be reminded of what we've never heard. We cannot be reminded of what we've never read. Your spirit, Lord, is only limited by our openness to letting you in, God. Bless your people, Lord. Deliver us. Don't let it go one more day, one more week, Lord. Give us a humility to call and to apologize. Give us a humility to forgive, Lord God. You say that if we will not forgive, we will not be forgiven, Lord. Your word is faithful. Your word is true. Where we're weak, you're strong, God. Deliver us. Deliver us. Deliver us. Oh, you're faithful, God. You're faithful, God. 
Anybody here this morning, if you're not saved and you want to be saved, the first thing God delivers us from is from sin itself. It's in your blood. It's in your DNA. You can't escape it. You can't outbehave it. You can't be good enough for it. You just have to know you're a sinner and that you need to be saved. That's all there is to it. It never changes. If God's knocking on the door of your heart, you're here in this place, really want to give your life to him. It could be your first day. You could be here for years. We heard a testimony of a young lady said, I'm tired of living a lie. Don't live the church lie. Be filled with the spirit of God and be forgiven of your sins. Anybody this morning, raise your hand. I want to be saved. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I'm already in prison and I don't want to spend eternity in one. Just raise your hand. Forgive me of my sins. Anyone? Hallelujah, Lord. You deserve all the praise, all the glory. We're going to worship. We're going to pray. I'm going to release you now. It's up to you. You can stay in worship. You can fellowship. You can pray. You can spend a minute in your word. We've given the blueprint. It's up to you to build a house worthy of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords living in it. Lord, thank you for every son in this place. Thank you for every daughter in this place, Lord God. Fill them afresh. Fill them anew. Your word says that no other foundation can be laid other than the foundation of Jesus Christ, Lord. If you're the Lord of these lives, you are the foundation that they are building upon, Lord God. We don't want any materials for fear. We don't want any materials for comparison. We don't want any materials for sin, Lord God. And we definitely don't want any materials for the flesh. I pray right now that you would help us to build. Help us to grow, Lord. Let every unique house be beautiful, Lord, and bring you glory. Let it be a place that you fill with your spirit, Lord God. Let it be your own temple where you minister your word to every son and every daughter here in this place, God. Let it be surrounded by a whirlwind, Lord, that the enemy cannot penetrate, where we are aware of what you're doing and how you're protecting us, Lord God, and we walk accordingly, Lord Jesus. As they leave from this place, bless them, protect them, encourage them, inspire them, Lord God. Fill them afresh and fill them anew, Lord. We love you and we worship you right now. We worship you in the name and with the spirit of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah, Lord.